about to listen to an original podcast concerning the early 2018 death of Charlottesville resident Molly Miller. The purpose of this podcast is to inform and educate. It is not to be confused with a legal investigation. Opinions expressed are solely those of the participants. The following contains adult themes. Listener discretion is advised. Well, welcome back. It is time again for another episode, and with me is uh, Russ. Russ, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me again. A lot has come up. Yeah, let's get right to it. So the reason that we're doing another podcast and the reason we always put out episodes is when new information becomes available. And Russ, would you like to share what that new information is? Yeah, we'll get to that in a second. Actually, I have a lot of thank yous to go out to because a lot of people have really, they've really turned a corner, helped us turn a corner with this uh, podcast. First, I want to thank Laura Rodriguez McDonald of Ivy League Murders, who got me hooked up with Jessica Fritz Aguera of Sticky Beaks, and she's covering, Sticky Beaks is covering a, uh, a similar but different case than we are covering, uh, a constantly uncovering um, story, and you should check that one out. Um, I'd also like to really thank um, Kate Starr and my friend Jeff Smith. Um, they've provided a lot of information to help us with this uh, podcast right now. Um but we do have new information coming out. Why don't you start out with what you uh, uncovered, Kim? One thing you found out was something that came across from uh, True, Crime, True Crime Society. That's correct. And for our listeners who are not aware of what True Crime Society is, it's a podcast that looks at um, true crimes, a lot of which are unexplained. And this came up when I Googled. It said, uh, bizarre cases where a missing person was eventually found dead in their home. And Molly Miller uh, was listed as number two. And the one thing that caught my eyes was the quote by Jackson Landers. And I mentioned in the first episode, he was the journalist who claimed that he knew uh, Molly and Anson and said that they were big on home improvements and explained why it was possible that Molly's body went undetected for as long as it did. And I'm going to read a direct quote here. It says, quote, Molly's family contacted True Crime Society and have said much of what Jackson Landers reported was false. Molly did not have cancer, as he reported, and they asked us to confirm with the public that Molly had no drugs, alcohol, or toxins in her body at the time she died. We thank them for sharing this information with us, end quote. Now, that's pretty interesting, because when did that come out? Uh, you mean, when did they put the, up the, the, the... From True Crime... Uh, they put this up in May of 2020. Okay, so that's not something that, uh, that's pretty recent. Yes, it is. Especially during a quarantine. Ex- <laughs> ex- exactly. It's extremely recent. And this is significant because this is the first time that the family uh, publicly said to anyone, to the best of my knowledge, besides myself, that Molly did not have cancer. I had spoken to two of her aunts who had confirmed that she did not have cancer, as well as the fact that she did not have any drugs or other uh, substances in her body. But the thing that really struck me is that it said that the family had confirmed this. Right. And um, that kind of different than what we've been going on before. Yes. In a lot of ways, it's been very different. Exactly. And one of the things that I did wonder was, uh, I wondered if it was the immediate family or was it the extended family? 
And I just want to say as well, uh, before I forget, that article where Jackson Landers made his statements is still very much up. And this uh, podcast has a link to that. And again, to the best of my knowledge, they have never corrected that. And I don't know why. I actually did politely contact the author of that piece, and I never got a reply, which was very unexpected. Yeah, that seems kind of typical for Charlottesville. It's just, oh, well. <laughs> and, um, I've talked to a couple friends of mine about the podcast. Two of them say it's very frustrating in Charlottesville because one of them put it together why. Charlottesville has always been a town, the third person said this, it's always been a town of a lot of talk but no walk. And it that is pretty much what all three were saying is that um, you can't get people to do something unless somebody tells them to. This situation that we're covering has been going on a few blocks from the downtown mall in the center of the city. People are connected. And a lot of people I've talked to, other than they are alarmed. I will say we were getting a very alarmed reaction from a number of people. Other people tell me, yeah, a prostitution ring or something like that doesn't surprise me. And then go on about their day. It's like I said, I can't live that way. If you see something, you got to do something. That's kind of what the, that, that that's a lot of the reaction of what I've been getting is that there is a lot of people that get really frustrated and angry at the people of Charlottesville and how they um, do stuff. Unless somebody on city council tells them that, you know, we got to take down these statues, they're not going to do it. Somebody can there's no populist thing going on around here. And that's what they really want to see happen. Exactly, Russ. I mean, we've talked about this at length for hours, but the thing that surprises me the most is the lack of um, empathy and the complete and utter apathy in some cases to hearing about a lot of these allegations, particularly those that involve some really dark stuff, including uh, the prostitution ring, the alleged prostitution ring, I should say. It was something that for many people, oh, that's interesting, but Again, what do I care? It doesn't affect me. It does not concern me. And one reason I thought it was important to mention the blog post is that, unfortunately, it is a case that oftentimes it doesn't matter what the truth is. It matters what information comes out first. This misinformation that was put out by Jackson Landers did become everybody's truth. It's what's frustrating to me after putting together this podcast that there are still a number of people who believe that Molly Miller had cancer. No, she did not. And there's actually some people that I talked to that were very alarmed for another issue, which I'll just soon mention, is that they don't even remember the Molly Miller case where she went missing and found three days later. No. They don't remember that case. But one thing uh, that I've heard uh, a couple times is that the Route 29 corridor, US 29, which is, goes right through Charlottesville, is a heavy sex trafficking corridor. Mm-hmm. A lot of that has to do because... Well, it's the back road from here to D.C. It's the road through here to D.C., but also it's between I-81 and I-95 connected by I-64. So there's a lot of truck traffic and just a lot of commerce and trucks and travel going on those roads. If you take uh, Route 29 and you start at Route 66 outside of D.C. and follow it all the way down to the North Carolina border, the money starts here in Charlottesville. That's That's correct. where the money is. And there have been two traffic busts in Charlottesville. 
Mm-hmm. I am aware of a, of a girl in the the area here, Charlottesville, Albemarle area, who I don't know her name, don't need to know her name, who was trafficked, and she's a, of a very young age. As I recall, she was in middle school. That's how young we're talking. That, that's that's all I'm going to go with. Yes. Yeah. I also talked to a friend of mine who ran into a girl that was being trafficked at a restaurant here, got her in touch with uh, Shelter for Help and Emergency or one mm-hmm. of those organizations. We hope that in the future we can bring better there are groups out there that deal with sex trafficking and what it is, because in the past 10 years, it's really been an issue. And a lot of law enforcement really don't know what it is. And it's not, not a discredit to the law enforcement, because it's such a complicated thing to, to look at and find. Is this person sex working or is this person being pimped and exactly. used as a sex slave was what the difference is? I mean, an actual slave. Exactly. And I'm really glad that you um, mentioned that because this brings us to our next segment. I was, uh, again, I had a very similar experience that people forgot about this case, which to me was quite extraordinary because for a while this was covered by um, people.com. It was even got a, it even got a shout out in the New York Post, um, Oxygen. So, I mean, they got some pretty major national attention. But the one thing that I am asked over and over again is about trafficking. And let me be perfectly clear, when I started investigating this, I did not even think about trafficking. Uh, In fact, I, like most people, had only a very vague notion of what trafficking was. And I'm still not an expert in any sense of the word. And we're hoping to get someone who is an expert to speak in a future podcast. We've We've reached out to them. uh, And um, there are people out there that deal with this. I have a contact actually on the internet. Mm -hmm. She was trafficked for many years and now works with sex trafficking up in Ontario Mm -hmm. and has received a medal from the Queen. uh, That's like... It's pretty amazing. Yeah, that's that's a big deal in Canada. Yeah, that's a pretty, pretty big deal anywhere. Well, I yeah, think. but yeah. Canada's the head of state in Canada is actually the Queen of England. Yeah, people, yeah. you know. And, um, <laughs> the other thing, there are people that do remember the case, mm-hmm. and it's interesting who does remember the case, and it's always the people that are more blue collar, people of color. They 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 always remember the case. Other people, it's just like you know, it just kind of came and went. And but there does seem to be an alarm now from a lot of people. And what the alarm is, something this big could be going on in Charlottesville again, and nobody is reacting as usual. No, the lack of reaction is another thing that I find completely disturbing. And just to clear up... um, as I was saying earlier, I did not go into this investigation even thinking about trafficking. And it became very clear, though, in the course of my investigation that this young woman was around people who were accused of trafficking. People have asked me, was she trafficked? The answer to that is, I don't know. But she definitely was around people who were who were said to be trafficked. This came from multiple reliable sources. And she was in contact with somebody who was accused of trafficking by well over, and no exaggeration, 10 people. I felt in some ways this ultimately became two different podcasts. One was an investigation into the circumstances involving uh, Molly Miller's death. But then the second part became really about these people she was involved with and basically ties to trafficking. And they are connected. But I 
am hoping that to explain uh, some of the feedback that um, we have gotten as to, well, this is really, in some ways, two different podcasts. Yes, It really do- was two different podcasts. I remember as we talked, uh, you know, doing the research and production and all that, but it really came to this. Also, uh, what people don't realize is you weren't expecting this podcast to still be going on at this point. Oh, no. Oh, no. Um, if you told me a year ago that this was still going on, I would not have believed you. Yeah. By now, law enforcement should have gotten on top of it. The media is still silent, and it's interesting about that because the media has commercial sponsors, and uh, we understand somebody with a lot of real estate in this area. He uh, owns a lot of buildings, <laughs> and if you have real estate in this area, you, you really have most of the power. That may or may not be why uh, the story has moved forward, but there's really no excuse for a story like this not to be moved forward in the mainstream media. That was always my goal. I don't know whether I was ever really clear about this, but I was very reluctant. I I was the reluctant uh, podcaster, for lack of a better word. Originally, I was hoping that a journalist friend of mine would write a story about this. And that uh, friend of mine did go to uh, two credible news sources. And unfortunately, the story was turned down. I had all this information. By that point, I had gathered all this information. I saw myself more as a helper or more as an assistant and then thought, well, I want to get this information out. How can I get this information out? I thought about writing an article myself, but I could not. I, I did not want to self-publish be, or put it on a blog because I thought, well, who, who will be Well, you want it? people I wanted hear people it. to actually hear it. Yeah. So then I thought, okay, podcasting. I had never done podcasting before, and that's actually how it grew about. But my goal was always that I was hoping that somebody with more experience than myself and with more resources than myself would look into this and and, and go from there. But that that never happened. No, um, and, and that that's been one of the consistent things is that it hasn't happened. No, and I, again, that's the frustration that. A lot of people I talk to about that has to do with the Charlottesville area is that people don't react. This is really going to have to come down to, if they want something to happen, the people are going to have to start a populist movement. Or at least raise the questions themselves. I mean, you, you and I, uh, we can only do so much of our work through the podcast, and, and our friends and, and our, our acquaintances that do think that they're, that this case at least warrants another look or warrants investigation, they can only do so much as well. But there really does need to be, I think, more of just a public or resp- response to this. Well, even now, let's face it, the hottest thing for a while on uh, Netflix, if you haven't seen it, and it's been hard to digest, is the Jeffrey Epstein documentary. And um, there are a lot of parallels with what's going on here and how those girls and Jeffrey Epstein and, and that he had control of are being treated. There was, yes, there were quite a lot of parallels. There were some really eerie similarities between the allegations that I heard versus what versus what was said about Jeffrey Epstein in the documentary. I want to make it clear that the individual that was accused of these things in Charlottesville was much more low, was, was nowhere in uh, Jeffrey Epstein's wealth <laughs> no. or social circles, nothing whatsoever like that. In fact, somebody, I did have one person call him a low-rent Jeffrey Epstein wannabe. That was very wordy, <laughs> but it was very close to the point. 
point. But it was no, very. No, just taking that, take that in for a while. It being called a low rent Jeffrey Epstein because Jeffrey Epstein is right now the standard of the lowest of the low. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and there are not words for Jeffrey Epstein. Um, well, I mean, this particular uh, individual that, that we're speaking of was also called lower than life bottom feeder. I mean, well, that's what you would have to be in order to be beneath Jeffrey Epstein. That's going pretty far underneath the surface there. That's <laughs> absolutely. But one thing that consistently came up was how blatant this individual was. He made these claims to numerous people, people from all walks of life. He was pretty life. open. He, he didn't know how to... This guy was not they, good at keeping secrets. Let's, let's put it this put way. It that way. I don't think he ever saw an episode of Sopranos or Goodfellas or anything like that because this racket was just wide open. Well, in all fairness, I don't think he had the attention span to probably follow an episode of The Simpsons. But no, I don't think that this was not an individual who was trying to hide things. But he did want this to go on. Oh yes, Th- that uh, we did. He did want this misogynistic behavior atmosphere, and he did want these girls treated in a certain way. Oh yeah, and y- you know there is a BDSM community all over the country. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, in uh, I'm from Washington D.C. The Black Rose is the big one, and apparently that's the biggest one in the country. I don't know. Uh, but, okay, I, I know nothing. But, but the th- well, the thing is, is that th- th- that's a whole different thing than what these guys were doing. This was not quote play in any sort of way. I always burning felt people with cigarettes when they didn't want to be burned with cigarettes is kind of the aging out thing really disturbed me because if they're aging out at 28, at what age are they uh, preying on them? That's a really good question. And I mean, I often thought that this individual owed a lot of apologies to several people, but I, and I am not joking in any sense of the word. I really think that if this guy ever grew a conscience, one of his apologies should be to the BDSM community because what he was engaging in was nothing it like, is. was really an insult to people that practice BDSM. They're into that thing. Yeah. I mean, right now it's gotten to a point where the only place for this guy really. All evidence seems to point to this guy as being really bad. It's everything from cocaine to the sex ring to roofies, which is the date rape drug. People aren't aware of that, which is very popular to have in a college town with a lot of bars and clubs. And that's just scratching the surface. I I want to make that clear. I mean, I didn't even have to go that far to get these allegations. And, you know, for those that are thinking, well, aren't these just allegations? Could it be somebody who just had a grudge against him? When you have, like, literally 10 people from all different walks of life, most of whom, you know, don't even know. uh, Each other. These people didn't even know each other. Most of the, you know, you have 10 independent sources all saying the same thing about a person. I do think that there's some validity to the to those claims. And I do think at the very least, the fact that this man was involved in Ms. Miller's life for a number of years, at the very least, this guy should have been looked into. He does follow the little pattern that we've discovered with certain people who we think are involved in this ring, is they have these grandiose accomplishments that they didn't even come clear to coming near. (laughs) International businessman, uh, comm school, which is the the school at University of Virginia. That's not something you're just going to get into. Calling someone an international business, I guess, well, I mean... Mm. If I sold something to some guy in uh, in England, I guess that's international business. But Maybe I don't he think sold this guy some stuff did something on eBay like and sent yeah. it overseas. And I, I, I don't, don't even know. think he's capable. I don't, <laughs> I don't think he's capable of running the eBay auctions. Yeah, um, I, I don't. But uh, he is very much capable of preying on. Like I said, I'm very worried about what they call age out at 28. Because to me, that's pretty young age. Uh, you're about to be 30, so it's you know. Mm-hmm. But when did they quote become prey? Why is everyone so silent about that? 
I I, I just want to say about the grandiose claims. Uh, these are some, some of the claims he get, he gave was that he was a gallery owner. He claimed to be an artist. He claims we discussed in a previous episode international businessman. I think he also claimed one point to have been a nominee for one of Times People of the Year. I am not making that up. Right. Uh, needless to say, none of this was true. And wow, I um, it, it was really you know quite stunning that this individual was just you know operating on this grandiose making these grandiose claims and at the same time openly flaunting his side practice supposedly right that's exactly what's been going on we also you know i want something i wanted to bring up was that we do know that these parties started at one location mm-hmm. we haven't really confirmed that yet there were, were a number of, were, there were a number of credible well, allegations saying that they did start at one location. Well, we, we were still working on that yeah. one. They, they were happening at Edwards' house. Oh, yeah, that's beyond. And we yeah, know that after now, we know now proof. that after Molly yeah. Miller's death, they did continue, and they continued at Lake Monticello. And Lake Monticello is a gated community outside of Charlottesville, the next county over, where they love their homeowners association and everything like that. And this has got to be, uh, now that we've said this, I'd like to, I'd be interested to see how people of Lake Monticello react knowing this went on in their safe suburban like gated community. Yeah, you had you yeah. do have a very credible yeah, you you actually found that very yes. that 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 source that that claimed mm-hmm. that that this happened. In every way it's happening under your nose is what I'm trying to tell everyone. We also know that in this sex we we said this before and I'm just going to keep saying it that there were people under the age of 18 being used. Allegedly, yeah. Mhm. Uh, Several credible sur- sources yeah. said that really is something that should be bothering a lot of people in Charlottesville. Well, you know, we do live in a town where if you post um, racist or sexist memes, you you can get fired or your businesses can be boycotted. It's very hard to, you know, keep that in mind and yet also know that you had an individual that was openly talking about trafficking young girls and openly um, just being so blatant about it. But but there there was really nothing done to this man. I I have to share this one story. I, I debated about whether to share this, but I think it's worth saying. There was an individual that I interviewed, a very credible source, who said that he just happened to see this person walking on Charlottesville downtown mall. Now, for those of you who don't live in Charlottesville, when I say mall, I don't mean like a I, I don't mean like 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 a shopping mall. No. Well, it's it's called a mall, but it's really just a series of shops. It's like it's the a pedestrian DC mall, mall, downtown mall. That are, yeah. For those that um, are interested, you can Google like Boulder's downtown mall. It's because the same architect who designed that right. one designed the one in Charlottesville. But this man said that he ran into this individual and he had a very young girl and he I guess we should give him the name. The, the party planner. We'll give him a name. That's so. a good name. Uh, yeah. uh, the, the party planner, you know, asked this uh, this man, do you like this girl? And the man said that he replied, well, I, I guess. He was very confused. But this, and again, this is in public in the daytime. The party planner said that if he wanted to get with the girl, he could arrange that. And was, I think, even it, discussed uh, prices. I, it was and that very, was wide in the open in an area where everybody in town hangs out and that yes um, he was discussing he was discussing pimping a girl supposedly in broad daylight in the middle of one of the busiest parts of Charlotte right in one of the busiest uh, areas of Charlottesville now I don't know how much bolder it gets than that well the thing is again Charlottesville is 10 square miles yeah this is the middle I speculate that was not the first time he did that oh no which means other people have heard him say that other than 
your sources and everything like that. So this guy was pretty wide open, as they say on the South, wide open. <laughs> uh, but he was pretty wide open about this, and yeah, people heard, and, and apparently someone looked the other way. Well, That's, I well I have, I mean, I, I have. Edward Thomas on record saying, well, I think it was the first or maybe it was the second time I interviewed him. I know it was the first time I recorded him where he said, oh, yeah, he's a pimp. I mean, he said it the way that most people would say he's, he's a doctor, he's a lawyer. And I did not think that he would come right out and say it. But, you know, this is the guy he's calling again, his surrogate father figure, his his former best friend. Yeah, yeah he was a pimp. But of course, then later on, well, I really didn't know it. Um, um, I never. It's amazing how yeah. the, the narrative changes, and we're supposed yes. to change with it. Oh my gosh! No, there, there the world narr- doesn't work oh, that way. There were more narrative changes than uh, than I don't know than a Game of Thrones novel. I'm serious. <laughs> I I just kept you well, know the, at the one TV point show I would lost. Needed, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's an even better analogy. I mean, at some point I needed a white. I think I need would have needed a whiteboard. How many times the narrative change? Yeah, I knew. No, I didn't know. Yeah, I knew at some point. No, I didn't know at that point. It was you know again very uh, confusing. Uh, You know, again, if there's one thing that the listener can take away from this, uh, we were dealing with some unreliable narrators from the start. And we've we've made that clear. If you'd listen to the podcast, you'd know that. Exactly. Uh, There's some questionable people in. um, Well, you could make the argument that nearly all of them are questionable. Well, one even went on the record with us, uh, with you, and was interviewed by you, and said the stuff he wanted to say, and that was Edward Thomas. Yeah. He knew a lot more than... uh, Oh, I always uh, felt he knew a lot more than what he was telling me. Well, I mean... You know, I've always been very careful because I don't want or need to get sued. But it... No, and it does speak for itself. He did tell me things during that interview. And later on, when I subsequently interviewed, he... I, he told me much more than uh, than that. He, he he knew a lot more. I, I walked away with the impression that he knew a lot more than he would ever tell me or anybody else. Well, you know, go, getting back to the people that... Uh, that was actually, and I just want to say one thing as well. That was one um, interesting thing. He uh, One of his many criticisms with this podcast and the, 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 the final product was that he felt that I was making way too much of an issue about possible um, sex trafficking or prostitution. I always wondered that. You know, why was that was that was definitely a very sore topic for him. Uh, you can uh, listeners can draw their own conclusion as to why that could be, but yeah, very sore topic. Well, you know, he did not want to talk about it. No, he didn't, and uh, unfortunately, we are talking about it. But to talk a little bit more about unfortunately the, for the, him. And, but we are going to still talk about it. Watching the Jeffrey Epstein documentary, the parallel I found is a lot of the girls he went for came from troubled and strained, troubled yes. backgrounds, strained yes. homely li- home life, drug use, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, that's... That was the, the fish hook to get him in. Well, there and, was one individual I spoke to who... Oh, wanted to keep their name and all details right. about them anonymously. That I don't which, even know which, who it is. Which, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I certainly respect. Uh, I certainly, I certainly respect her choice. I, it was okay for for me to say that um, that that she was a female, but she did say that she said that people like herself and these other participants 
she said, you know, we were not in a good place. A lot of us did dealt with, she was talking about her own experience. She said mm-hmm. a, lot of, a lot of us, including myself, and I'm paraphrasing, we dealt with drug issues. We dealt, dealt with mental health issues. It, it, it did make sense. Um, and again, these are her words saying that, that it did make sense because, you know, why else would we be would we be doing this? Why else would we be associating with these individuals if we were in a healthy place? I, I, I mean, well, didn't I, you use the term one source of yours said we didn't even know we we're doing sex work until we we're in the middle of it? Yes. Yes. It was actually that same individual. She, she said uh, because she said, you know, people will have a hard time uh, understanding this, but you don't really know that you're doing this until you're in it. I, I mean. Mm-hmm. One tactic of the party planner, whatever you want to call him, was that he would tell these girls, supposedly, in order to please them, that they had to have sex with other men. In fact, uh, well, there was a, supposedly one example where a young girl, and I think she was supposedly 19, 20 years old at the time. She was quite young. She, supposedly, she shows up in a hotel room and she's th- there's a man waiting there and she's told that in order to please um, party maker, she needs to have se- she, she Party she maker's the same guy that we're talking about in the rabbit hole. Exactly. Uh, just, the, the, gonna, it's the same individual. Yeah, let's not, let's not put too many characters into it. Exactly. Uh, let's call it the, yeah, the guy from the rabbit hole. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Exactly. But it wasn't until afterwards that this young woman found out that she, that this man had paid to have sex with her. No. And my understanding is is that this young woman didn't even see the money or, or any money that was, was due to her and she she was the one doing the sex work that is the big red light for me after watching the Epstein thing after talking to people that I know mm-hmm. that work in the sex trafficking that's what they do and, 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 I, that's and, how, and they, they go for it because hey I finally got somebody who pays attention to me because you know exactly my dad was always in prison my mother never really cared what I did and Plus, I can get some cocaine from this guy. But there's that sense of belonging that they take advantage of. Absolutely. And there were three other people, again, three other independent sources who said that, yes, that these girls did not know how much these Johns were paying for them. Three people independently said that. And our guy in the rabbit hole is not capable. First off, he did not come up with this whole idea in every sex trafficking ring in the country from Epstein down to whatever is going on in Nashville, Mm -hmm. which we know there are because I have a a source from Nashville that's been talking with me, mm-hmm. or Boston, or um, Utah, or New Mexico, or all over the country, by the way, have been listening to this podcast and been alarmed. Somebody trained our rabbit hole guy in this type of method. There is no way he is capable of saying, hey, you know what, I could come up with this myself. It's a pattern, and this is the way it's done. Exactly. That's exactly it. So somebody trained it's, it's a, him. It's a tried and true formula. Right. It's sad, but I mean, this is such a common occurrence. And, you know, wrapping this back up, what does this have to do with Molly Miller's death? What does it have to do with it? Well, you know, again, you think that the Charlottesville police would have at least been very interested in this individual that had been in her life for years. And again, emphasizing this person was in her life for years. The people she was around is is something to look at. Exactly. We've made that point in every podcast so far that we could and we're going to make it again exactly is that we have to look at the whole picture and like i've said before if the truth hurts the truth hurts i'm sorry but it can hurt that's 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 the beginning of the story and that's the end of the story right there you may not like what you're hearing may 
may make you angry and stuff like that. I understand, but... I hope it does make people angry because, you know, I mean, this is just... Uh, if, 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 if even a quarter of these allegations are true, this is extremely sad. And it's, it's extremely... It's, it's Yes, it's, it's frightening. frightening. And, you know, this does affect the entire community. When you have people being treated this way and people being preyed upon, you know, we're all interconnected, especially in a town this size and this small. So this does ultimately affect everybody. Literally. In this town, like I tell people, you're three degrees of separation, and that's because the town grew. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, yeah, like six degrees of separation from of Kevin Bacon or whatever. Yeah. You know, you were three degrees. So yeah, you know people that were involved in this. I've been oh, on totally. your Facebook page, and I've seen them there. Yes, a, a number of people. They need to know that. I, I've had some people being very alarmed. And I just they are wanna... treated much different, and I'm like, you're going to be treated different. Mm-hmm. It makes sense that you're treated different. They can't afford to lose you for other reasons. And I want to make it very clear with this individual party maker. Th- this guy very much was... Um, uh, a rather social person was always uh, going going by uh, his social media was always showing up at various events was always showing up events that often had a lot of very young people especially young women and it really you know, seen, stops to make you think yeah i've seen I, a I picture mean, of him at the first place we talk about yes with i've seen two pictures of him with the same person and that same person coincidentally lives in lake monticello yeah and was gone for a while and apparently gave the keys to somebody or something like that. Yeah. You know, he's always at these events. He was always at these events uh, with, with, with very young people. He, um, I had a very good source say that uh, when he encountered him one time at this, at this one particular favorite hangout, which was frequently populated by young people, and by young people, I mean, Russ and I, I think Russ, We'd be I too think old. We, we would have been, yeah. we would be too old. We would be considered like, I don't know, practically grandparents to show up at these events. But this man was there, according to uh, what I heard, clearly under the influence of some sub- substitute saying that he wanted to find some really young girl to, you know, take magic mushrooms with. And he's going going around in public doing this. Yeah, so, you know, again, if that seems very suspicious. I, I and, do have and, and a by, friend. And by the way, I do want to say, when, when we're talking about age and everything like that, not to sound ages, but this individual is old enough to be our dad. And nobody thought that this was strange, that he was hanging around right. people that were young enough to be his, could be his grandchildren even. Hmm. Unless you have something they want. Yeah. And something they need. Yeah. And you think? Yeah. And mm. uh, if he's talking about magic mushrooms, I wonder what else. That's got, what I was wondering. Well, like I told you, you know, you have your hands in one thing, you're going to have your hands in a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And boy, does this guy have many hands. <laughs> many hands. I mean, he was certainly around Molly Miller. Yeah. Certainly around her. And, you know, if he is listening and wants to dispute that, I have photographs of you and, and, and her together. So. Yeah, you can't deny that. You cannot seen, deny I've that. I've seen the photographs, too. That's the state of Charlottesville that you don't know about. You do know now. What are you going to do about it? That's up to you. Hey, I've done my part. As we were discussing the other night, you don't go into podcasting for fame, fortune, or, or glory. No. And we really wanted to find out what happened in this case. And when this other information came out, we really did feel that it was a public service. And I, I still feel that way. I started it as a listener. Yeah. Really, the reason, and you know, the, and I'll be honest, to me, the story kind of faded away, mm-hmm. but you brought it back to life. And I, I came in, really started working with you off the mic a lot. And a lot of it was because I can't live knowing this is going on and not doing something. I mean, you can't yeah. always do something, but you just try to do something. I don't know how long this has been going on. I do know that a number of people have been damaged. 
Yeah. And we really have to find out, you know, about the sex trafficking. And we're going to have that person. We're going to have somebody on or maybe two. I don't know. But we're going to have somebody on who's going to talk about sex trafficking, who's going to be local to central Virginia. We're going to get we're going to find out more about what sex trafficking is because it's getting to be a very confused word. It is. And it's a word that a lot of people use incorrectly. And I really uh, you don't have to be taken away to be trafficked. No, no. That, that, thank you for mentioning that. Because uh, that, that, that's Epstein something that I thought. Yeah. In the Epstein documentary, a lot of those girls were not taken away. They no. were in West Palm Beach. Yeah. And, they were just like literally going over the bridge right. into Palm Beach. Yeah. And he had them. He had them hooked and yeah. had to work for her. Surprise. I, ex- I really, really hope that everyone watches that Jeffrey Epstein documentary. It's too parallel. And... Also, I think it would be, uh, for obvious reasons, everyone should be watching it. And there's a reason why it's still hot on uh, Netflix. And one thing that I really thought was very eye-opening was uh, it, it does give you some insight into the minds of people like Epstein. Epstein really did think he was untouchable. And people can think, well, you know, probably because of the money that he had. I'm sure that played a role in it. But it's also, I think, more along the ideas of, like, when you get away with things and you're very blatant about it and nothing happens to you, I can see how after years of doing this, you can think, well, nothing's ever going to happen to me. If something was going to happen to me, you, you know, other than it would. I, I mean, unfortunately, I think that people really like to think that people get outraged and it results in, in actions. But I think that more often than not, you have a lot of people that are very complacent. Or the one thing that I heard over and over during this investigation, I don't want to get involved. If I had a dollar each time for every time that I heard that, That's not I, would, uh, yeah, no. I, I would be able to pay for, for both of my children's college education. I heard that time and again. I heard that from people who said, you know, I have relevant information or they thought they had relevant information at least, and said, I don't want to get involved. And I said, you know, and I I actually asked one individual once, I said, "Um, why don't you want to get involved? Well, if I'm the only person that comes forward, well, you know, I'm going to have a lot of people angry at me. That was often it. Well, you know, what? I'm going to ask you this straight up. Mm -hmm. What is the difference between a coward and a hero? I think action. Nothing. They're both scared to death. It's what the coward doesn't do that makes him a coward and what the hero does do that makes him a hero. I was talking online with Brian Gathy, if I can plug another podcast. Sure, absolutely. Brian Gathy's doing a podcast, End on End, which is about Discord records of the punk scene up in D.C. Mm -hmm. And as you know, I come from that area. And uh, and I had said that um, they want us to go away, but we're not going anywhere. And he goes, that's pretty punk of you. And I'm wondering, you know, in this town, I was talking with Kate Starr, you know, this is a hippie town, but these are punk rock times. Is the hippie thing to look the other way and not do anything? And you you, you know what I'm saying? I mean, is it really that foreign that I I have to be, have gone to so many Fugazi shows and been to the 930 Club, seen Jawbox and all these other bands and have all these records at home and and everything like that? Do I really have to do that in order to do the right thing? Or is it because I want to do the right thing that I actually went to these shows and went to all these things? I think uh, there has to be some soul searching going on within the city of Charlottesville. The people who come here to go to the Tea House, to go to Miller's, to go to shows at the Southern. If you go to any with Bodo's, mm-hmm. which is a, these are all places around here. If you go to those places, you got to wonder, are you going to look the other way and be a coward or are you going to do something? Even if it's an inch, I did an inch for you and look where I am now. Yeah. And you know what? I, and we've talked about it. I go, well, I can't back out now. They'll be selling out. Mm-hmm. So we're not going anywhere. No. 
So we're going to kind of wrap up now, but um, as we all know that the Black Lives Matter uh, thing has really exploded from Minnesota oh, yeah. to other, and Charlottesville's not alone. Oh, uh, no. We've had a number of protests here. And again, we, uh, we've been put, we, 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 you've received some pushback from our chief of police. Yes, from the very beginning of this podcast. And I thought she, yes, we're dealing with a she here, ought know better at this point in the wake of what, you know, what she walked into is was after the Unite the Right Nazi rally, which we're all famous for right now. Mm-hmm. That's began this whole thing in the entire world. I think it started right here. Mm-hmm. Regarding Black Lives Matter, this quote was given by Chief of Police, Charlottesville Chief of Police, uh, Rashal Brackney. Every day, hold us accountable, not when there's just national spotlight. And I'm comfortable with that accountability and transparency. Yeah, isn't that a wow moment there? I, uh, again, if I can go back to my punk roots, I was messing around on YouTube, and I saw a show that Fugazi did in New, in New Zealand, Guy Pachotti, who was also in bands like Rights of Spring and mm-hmm. other bands you probably don't even know about. But <laughs> anyway. I haven't heard of them okay, I wasn't part of People I know yeah. know about these yeah. fans. Uh, uh, Lily Black knows who they are. Okay, uh. okay. But uh, uh, she does the punk show at yeah. the Rockets. Uh, yeah. And, uh, he's, he's sitting there and goes, hey, I just want to remind everyone out there's a live concert. He goes, uh, some of the police outside are uh, being a little brutal. And then someone says something back to him and goes, well, maybe you should petition the police. Maybe you should go to your town hall. That's what I would do. We've got to remember that they work for us. Rochelle Brackney works for you, Charlottesville. I'm in Albemarle County. She doesn't work for me. She works right. for me, though. She works for you, and she works for everyone here. And, yeah, she walked in on a mess, and um, I'm going to be completely upfront and saying that I've been pretty disappointed in her and what she's done. I'm very happy to be on the other side of the line. Well, I was, in, as I shared, uh, I was incredibly disappointed that she was very dismissive of my podcast, and I still bet to this day she probably never listened to a single word of it. And I do say I have, I she is always welcome to sit down and, and to talk about it. And I would ask her, I would say, for, my first question to her would be, do you not see any problems with how this investigation was handled? And more importantly, what is the department? going to do to ensure that things do not happen like this in the future. And I always thought as well that she said that she thought my podcast, uh, one of the words that she used is she thought she thought it was very cruel. She thought it was particularly cruel to the right. family. Well, isn't it cruel for, you know, let's let, let's assume for a moment that the official cause of death is correct, that this was a suicide. I think it's incredibly cruel for a family to think that their loved one was snatched and for three days to live with that fear, to live with that anxiety. And all the time, this young lady was uh, in her bedroom closet and or wasn't or well, you and I, I debate that you and I debate that well, yeah. I'm going by the official version for, for this for this scenario do they not did you, she not think you know just as a person much less as a law enforcement professional that a lot of heartache as well as you know probably very much unwanted publicity could have been avoided if the cops had just treated that house as a crime scene and had searched it and one of this the is easiest very simple to procedures tell you the truth, as another method is that it's very easy in this town and you know, I've lived in the, the, the Washington, D.C. area. I lived mm-hmm. in Rockville, Maryland. I lived mm-hmm. in Gaithersburg, Maryland. I lived in Martinsburg, West Virginia. And now I live in Charlottesville area mm-hmm. with the Albemarle County, of course. But Albemarle County Board of Supervisors, mm-hmm. the Charlottesville City Council, mm-hmm. they'll listen to you. Yeah. So you got a problem. Maybe take it up with uh, Mayor Walker. Yeah. I'm sure she'll listen. That's a good point. Yeah, really. I think that she will listen and so will council. I know we're in uh, quarantine and things are different, but do it the way you got to do it. Because right now... There's some people out there you don't want in your city. 
No. And they live next door to you, possibly. And you, we're also talking about the chain of command here. You know, the, the constable on patrol, the cop, the guy mm-hmm. in the car, that and and stuff like that. You, you know, like I said in one of the further podcasts, that the night before Unite the Right, mm-hmm. those men and women were writing letters yes. to, and putting them in envelopes for their kids to read if they didn't come home the next day. Mm-hmm. And they were put in a very dangerous situation oh, yes. that day. Um, so, you know, uh, we're, not, we're not trying to go after cop cars or anything like that. Oh, no. But up, up the chain of command, something's going on. And um, I've noticed that a lot of people have left the Charlottesville Police Department. Oh, yeah, there's been a big exodus. Uh, some have gone to smaller sheriff's departments outside the area. Um, I'm assuming, I don't know, but it's, that's a, a loss of pay there. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, there's been a huge exodus ever since uh, Chief of Police Longo left, who was nationally you know, known. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people started to know who this guy was. and. Absolute great guy, too. And, and I just want to emphasize as well, I did have uh, somebody who was a former Charlottesville City Police who said that, yeah, this investigation was not conducted properly. Uh, a lot of people are very critical of the police right now for a number of things, but I don't think that it is excessively critical at all to say, why wasn't this house treated as a crime scene? Why? I, I mean, that's really the bottom line. I told line. somebody that. Uh, I want to say it was Kate Starr, and she goes, what? <laughs> and I go, yeah, the house was not treated as a crime scene. And um, Well, we're not alone. As we no. mentioned it at the top of the podcast, you know, the True Crime Society, they mentioned the Molly Miller case under bizarre cases where a missing person was eventually found dead in their own home. I think that really says it all. Bizarre cases. and. Right. Even without the allegations of trafficking, even without these very odd figures involved, just the situation of how she was found is bizarre. I don't think that there's any Everyone knows way that. to There's not a person that. out there that can disagree with that. And that's why we hear about Kratom, 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 no, cancer I, and endometriosis and other things killing her. It's just distracting from the point that you cannot explain why on day three a body shows up and you didn't notice it on day one or two. Exactly. Mm. When I understand after day one, you're going to know there's a dead body there. Absolutely. Day three, you can, it's going to pretty nasty. I, um, I, I'll just close on this. There were two things that just anecdotally speaking, which was interesting. I, um, before the pandemic, I went back to a, a college reunion. There were some various people who asked me what I had been up to, and I told them I did a podcast. They were they were a bit surprised because Wake Forest alumni do not typically go on to do podcasts. For those familiar with it, basically we produced lawyers, bankers, and doctors. That was uh, and business people. That was pretty a couple much of ba- a couple of basketball players. Well, yeah, yeah that yeah, too. That's you know, Muggsy uh, was and good. the guy who's going to be the, <laughs> the first African American bachelor. He he played football for for Wake. I I learned that. But no, mm-hmm. I mean every person I told just the bare bones. It's about a young woman who was found dead in her own home after three days. And every single person from all walks of life. I didn't go into any of this, you know, bizarre critters or anything. Cre- that were in this uh, podcast, they were all like, that does not make sense. And the second antidote that I want to share is that I emailed a link to this podcast to a friend of mine that lives on the West Coast who, again, knows nothing about any of the people involved or anything like that. Very logical, very um, science science type, and just said, you know, this is, this is bizarre. This does not make sense. There are unanswered questions. How do you explain that? 
and I do want to thank the people who have gotten in touch with me that are alarmed, especially uh, Jeff Smith, who's a former boss of mine, but he's really more a good friend of mine. I could call him today, say I need help. He'd get the message and get back to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but you know what I'm saying. Case star, Little Miss Liberty. She was a oh, yeah. musician around mm-hmm. town. She has really uh, been proactive in helping us out. You guys have really, we thank you a lot. Yes, thank you so much. And thank you to everybody who's listened. Thank you to everybody who's commented, too. Mm -hmm. Negative, positive feedback, neutral. We welcome all of it. And again, thank you to everybody who participated in this. And um, again, much thanks to you, Russ. Thanks. I couldn't have done this without you. And what's the email address they want to get in touch with us? Uh, MissingMollyPodcast at gmail.com. Again, MissingMollyPodcast at gmail.com. And until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to Missing Molly, an original podcast concerning the early 2018 death of Charlottesville resident Molly Miller. Opinions expressed have been solely those of the participants. Missing Molly was written and produced by Kimberly Lowe, with engineering and editing from Mike Friend. Original artwork from Natalie Jacobson. Music composed and performed by Sam Whedon. Digital assistance is from John Taylor. With special thanks to Todd Ely, Lori Goodbody, Stephanie Bottoms, Josh Bontrager, Tina Hicks, Courtney Stewart, Lloyd Snook, and Edward Thomas. For more information, you can contact Missing Molly Podcast at gmail.com.